You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Who that Wednesday is here for the first time in 2023. Welcome into Crunch Time here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion. Houston Astros, Matt Miguez here. My producer and co-host is the one and only Mr. James Mesh, a.k.a. Yamis, a.k.a. The Donut, a.k.a. just everything. What's up, buddy? What's up, Matt, the door slammer Miguez? Yeah, you know. I'd, I'd... Love slamming doors. Sometimes my, my passion for doing this show just gets the best of me it's just one of those things no no no, no comment okay i want, we'll I, want I want to say something but i wasn't gonna do it no, no comment all right we'll move on no nah, <laughs> i'll save it so on today's show we will obviously talk the new orleans saints winners of their last three yet no playoffs yikes a little late to start doing a win streak huh yeah a little, little bit a little bit. We'll uh, we'll talk about that. And, of course, Brendan Ertel will join us in hour number two. We will also recap throughout the show LSU men's basketball falling to Kentucky 74-71 to last night. Uh, we will talk with Matthew Bruni at the top of hour number two to get his thoughts on that game and much more. We'll also cover some of the top stories in sports today. And McNeese is having a special night tomorrow night naming their court inside the Legacy Center after the legendary Joe Dumars. We will have audio from the press conference uh, with Joe Dumars talking about that event tomorrow night inside the Legacy Center. 337-706-0111 is the game hotline. Here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Top story of the day, very similar to what the top story of the day yesterday was. Damar Hamlin remains hospitalized and in critical condition in the UC Medical Center's ICU, but has showed signs of improvement overnight. His ventilator status went from 100% to 50%. And the bill said today in a statement that Hamlin is expected to remain in ICU as his health care team continues to monitor and treat him. So, from a terribly tragic situation, a little bit of good news, James. Things things may be starting to to look up a little bit for for Demar Hamlin because, you know, I, I'm no medical expert, but when your ventilator goes from 100 to 50 overnight, you're making progress. It's a good sign. Yeah, uh, so. de- definitely happy that he's able to make progress and he's progressing to where he doesn't need it. And to where he could eventually get out of the hospital and go be with his family full time and go back to the facility and be with his team. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be huge, no question about it. Um, the Bengals are praising Sean McDermott today for his actions in getting the game postponed. Uh, Sean Taylor, one of the first things that he said when speaking 
with the media today was when I got over there, the first thing he said was, I need to be at the hospital for DeMar, and I shouldn't be coaching this game. And he's absolutely right. In that moment, the only thing that mattered was the health and concern of DeMar Hamlin. Why would you play a football game? It just doesn't matter. So kudos to both the Bengals and the Bills for for taking the necessary actions to get that game postponed and more than likely probably canceled. I mean, I just I, I don't see a, another another route for the league to take. The only most realistic one you could take is you literally push all the playoffs back a week. Correct. But even then, it's like, why would you push them all the way back? You're not going to have a Thursday night game. You're only going to have that one Saturday slash Sunday game because you're not going to have them play on a Monday and then have them turn around to potentially play on a Saturday against a playoff team. It's like, you're just not going to do that. Well, what you you could... Like, you can put them... Not this coming up weekend in week 18, but have a one-game week 19 and then push all the playoffs back. But that even then, that's not very optimal. What you could do, this isn't logical, but it's something that could work. What if you ran week 18 like normal? Mm-hmm. Bengals and Bills play on a Wednesday next week? And then their playoff games are like the Monday? But they, I mean, but that, that, wild card weekend is always Saturdays and Sundays. Well, right. But what I'm what I'm saying is, is their two games just put it on put it on the Monday, just the one week. Put it on the Monday. Put their put their games right. Whoever they end up matching up with, put those games on the Monday. Again, that's a lot of games in a lot of days, and not and a that, lot of days. And that and then that route and then that takes into factor of the divisional round because whoever moves on. If one or both of them, either both of them or one of them, is probably going to play on that next Saturday. So Correct. even then, that's still going to be another a short, short week. week. So it's like, yeah, no, it, it it's not. It's it, rough. It's, it, it's not going to, and that's kind of going back to my point as to why the game probably won't get played. Yeah, I, there, I, there's I, no, I really don't see it being played. There, there's no good situation for anybody to try to play that game. So what I would do. And and this is purely speculation. Cancel the game. Mm-hmm. It never happened. Both the Bills and the Bengals just have sixteen games on their record. And where the seeding falls is where the seeding falls. Because here's the thing: Kansas City wins on Sunday; they're the one seed. So the Bills and Bing. It, I mean, two, three. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. But what made it interesting is the Bills had beat the Chiefs earlier in the Correct. season. So if the Bills would have beat Cincinnati on Monday, and then they come back around and beat the Patriots. They also they would be the one seed. They would be the one Correct. seed instead of the Chiefs. So that's what makes this whole thing interesting. Is kind of feels like no matter what, you're going to get screwed in some way. It's just in what way are well, you going to get screwed? Well, because here's the thing. Here, here's the the three logical options I could see with the game. You either wash it. Like I said, game never happened. You only have 16 games on your record. Mm-hmm. You call it with the result as it is. So the Bengals win 7-3. to three. Or it's a tie. Yeah. That's your three choices. 
Either way... Which even with the tie, that really doesn't do anything. Correct. Any way you slice it, somebody's getting screwed. It's, It's just the unfortunate situation. Somebody's getting screwed. So the NF, I mean, you're gonna have to figure something out, and you you gotta do it kind of quickly, um, because I mean, week 18 starts in three days. What What do you think of how I approached um, with with the fantasy league? Because what I had done was instead of kind of just calling it the result as is, what I'm doing is. For my players and for my opponent, we're not going to count the points that they ha- they had currently had on Monday night. We're just going to negate those points, even though it says uh, one of us won. What I did was we're just going to add it on ourselves. We're going to add on my players and then just add it to the score of what I had this past week. Yeah, I mean, that, and then same thing with his players. For for a fantasy perspective, yeah, I mean that that's a logical way to do it. Because it's like even though even though the app itself is Correct. is calling game as is because Correct. that's what they had said, that's just how we're gonna do it. Yeah, and, and again, I, I think that that's a fair way to do it. But unfortunately, the NFL can't do that. Yeah, unfortunately, you can't just be like, <laughs> you, well, we'll take the points that the Bengals and Bills scored this weekend, add it to what they had, and then you know, then we'll determine who wins and who loses. No, you can't do that. <laughs> that that just you can't do that. You're just gonna try and pile on the Patriots. Right. Right. Um, so there's just there's there's no logical way to to get that done. But again, you know, with with the playoffs coming very quickly, uh, unfortunately, the, the league's going to have to just make a decision and do something, and, and move forward with it. But again, the the positive thing in all of this is that Demar Hamlin's health is continuing to improve, which is a a very good thing to see. A couple other top stories. Bobby Petrino coming back to the SEC. Jimbo Fisher has hired him as the Texas A&M offensive coordinator. Oh boy! And not only is he going, not only is Jimbo's growing up a lot today, because not only is he hiring an offensive coordinator, but he is also handing over play calling duties. Jimbo has grown twofold. Now, wouldn't it be hilarious if A&M goes like 9-3 and three the first year that Jimbo doesn't call plays? And they have one of the better offenses in the country. Dude. And in the SEC. So Jimbo was the problem. Wow. Some, some coaches just can't call plays. They can manage the team. They can manage the players. Look. I, I but said X's it, and O's and like calling the plays and situations. I said it the whole time that he was at Louisiana, and I said it this year when he was at Florida. Billy Napier should not be the play caller. That's his downfall. He is not a good play caller. He's a great coach. He's a great recruiter. He's a great, you know, X's and O's guys. But when it comes to calling plays, it's not good. It's not good. Levi Lewis should have ran the ball way more during his time at Louisiana than he did. Way more. UL's offense would have been even more dynamic than it already was. 
to me, that was one of Billy's biggest downfalls was 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 that he wasn't a great play caller. And, and you kind of saw it a little bit at Florida at, at, at times this year that you know some of the play calling was incredibly skeptical. And you kind of scratched your head and wondered, well, you know, if somebody else would have called the plays, how much different would it have been? Not saying that it would be different, but it, it's it's the question that, that pops up, you know, every time, right? Your poll question of the day is what are your thoughts on LSU's loss last night to Kentucky? Did you like the way they fought? Do you think they should have won? Are you maybe feeling a little indifferent about it? So far, 72% say they like the way that they fought. 18% say they should have won. And 10% say that they are currently indifferent. couple comments. Ton says they probably could have won, but the fight they showed, the hustle, it feels weird to say, but it's a really good loss. I'm not a fan of moral victories, but I will agree with Ton. They fought hard. They played well. With it being a young team and a new system with a new coach, you going to Rupp Arena to a Kentucky team who hasn't been as great as they usually are, still being able to go to your first real road game and fighting till the very end, the lowest or the the biggest point differential was ten. The biggest LSU was down was ten, and they they fought back and they were in it the whole game. The fact that they didn't have to make a major comeback, they were in it the whole game. Shows a lot. Yeah, you, uh, again, you know they they fought hard, they played well in in a lot of different stretches. They just were were a couple points short, missed a couple shots that they should have made, a couple turnovers that you probably want back. Wildcats got a couple of extra opportunities that you could have secured and made sure that they didn't have. I mean, there's there's always one or two plays. When it's this close of a game, there's always a couple of plays that you go back to and be like, well, this could have been the easy swing of the game to where LSU could have won. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but no, it was a good fight. They, they, showed, they showed a lot of promise. Ooh, breaking news. Star third baseman Rafael Devers and the Boston Red Sox are finalizing an 11-year, $331 million contract. Deal is not done. The physical process hasn't started. But in the end, Devers is expected to remain in Boston. 24 hours ago, they signed a one-year deal. They added an extra one. (laughs) What? You convinced me. We need to go long-term. They said, hmm, let me negate a one-year deal and make it 11. Okay. What? See, this is why Boston gets on my nerves. Go get you Dunkin' Donuts. Why? Why? You clearly struggled to reach an agreement with the guy. So, hmm, one year, $18 million, let's sign that. Nah, 11 years. And then 24 hours ago, you're like, okay, we'll give you what you want. 11. Make it. Make it make sense. Wow. Boston has done it again. Oh, and then guess what? Your favorite player in the league is back from IR. Elijah Mitchell is off. That's right. That's right. Make Coming back for the playoffs, baby. I love that. <laughs> Super Bowl MVP Elijah Mitchell. Oh, is that your call? I'm speaking it into existence. Ooh. It's going to happen. I hope. <laughs> 
we'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. And when we return, we will talk New Orleans Saints, winners of their last three. One game left against Carolina. Does it mean anything? We'll talk about that next here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion, Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. So I know we don't talk soccer on here much. However, this is incredibly riveting. James, do you remember during the World Cup when Giovanni Reina wasn't playing a whole lot and people questioned why? And you were one of them. Correct. Because for the last couple years, oh, this kid's the future. His parents were both star athletes. His dad played for the World Cup team. Like, he is the future of this team. Isn't he on a really big team in Germany? Correct. Plays for Borussia Dortmund. That's right. And then barely saw the field. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, okay, this is strange. He might have played like, what, 20 total minutes? Correct. And then there was the report that came out that there were some issues at practice and Reyna was acting immaturely and this, that, and the other, whatever. Okay, so kind of an explanation, but... Very vague. Well, okay, fine. Well, yesterday it comes out that Greg Barhalter, whose contract recently, or set to expire with the U.S. men's national team, is under investigation by the Soccer Federation for a past domestic violence incident. Okay, so that's intriguing. But today it comes out that Danielle Reyna, Giovanni's mother, is the one that shared the information about his incident to the U.S. Soccer Federation. So much so that his father, Claudio, apparently sent multiple text messages to the U.S. men's national team general manager during the World Cup where he threatened to share the allegations about Burhalter's past. Basically blackmailing for Gio to play. I mean, this story just gets better and better. My lips are salivating. It's so juicy. I mean, story. Oh, man. Like, what is going on? And, and we th- and we thought U.S. had a chance to like kind of make a deep run. Mm-hmm. Now that we know all this was happening, no, <laughs> we should we should ha- we should be pra- praising the fact that they even made it that far. They the, made it to the knockout stages with all of this going on. The messages from Claudio began after his son Gio was informed he would have a limited role at the tournament. Wow. So there's petty. And then there's this. And then there's petty. Wow. That is riveting. Riveting stuff. Um, So very interested to see how that's going to play out 
for the U.S. men's national team. But then again, you know, going back to the the New Orleans Saints, like we said, winners of their last three, picking up a big win over the best team in the league in Philly. Now you're sitting at seven and nine, feeling, to be honest, feeling somewhat okay about yourself. But now you're eliminated from the playoffs again and just trying to find one last gasp of positive momentum to take into 2023. Let's go to the game hotline now. Martin, what's going on? Oh, not too much. First of all, I want to start out by saying my, my thoughts and prayers continue to go out to uh, that that Buffalo uh, player. What's his name? Um, DeMar Hamlin. Uh, Hamlin. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we continue to get, you know, encouraging news that he pulls out of this. You know, and you know me, I'm a diehard Cowboys fan to the day I die, but I think everybody right now is a Bills fan, you know, and I think you know, eventually they're going to have to go back and play football. And hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the Bills. Hopefully they can win the Super Bowl and do this for him. But, uh, yeah, it's just a sad, sad situation. But uh, I wanted to kind of touch on something. Uh, you were talking about the um, the, the uh, that guy, you know, in the World Cup. I mean, the U.S. Men, uh, men's head coach. You know, with that domestic violence, with a domestic violence charge, and it brought up because I feel like it, it, it ain't much being said about it right now, and being brought up about it. You know, but I think it's a very serious issue. Dana White, that video that that popped up of him slap, not just slapping, but hitting his wife. Okay, and yes, the man came out and apologized and saying he deserves everything that's gonna come for him. But I don't care. The man, and it, nothing's going to go about this. Nothing's going to happen to the man because he's the owner of the UFC. I always loved MMA. I loved UFC. But I, for one minute, did not ever like Dana White. I just, the man always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He got, He's cocky and everything. But do you see anything coming about with this? Any kind? I mean, I don't know who can defend the man or anything like that. But, I mean... That kind of makes me not want to watch MMA anymore. Yes, he's done a lot for MMA. I, I 100% agree with that. But the way I was brought up as a man, you never, ever lay your hands on a woman. That's period. I don't care if she slaps you 100 times. You don't hit you. And what he did was 100% wrong. I mean, Ray Rice in the NFL, well, what he got suspended for? Yep. Abuse. Yep, no, absolutely. You, you know, I mean... You know, I just want to, because it's not a lot being said about it and everything, but then I think that a lot needs to be said about that. No, I agree. You know, I mean. The, no, I agree, Martin. I but, appreciate the call, man. I got to let you run. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all. Thank you. So, the the Dana White situation, obviously, very quiet. Um, obviously, that is. A, a terrible situation because I, I agree with Martin completely. A man should never hit a woman. But considering who he is and the amount of money that he has, 
the only punishment that's going to come is if it is self-imposed. If he wants to say, look, you know, I'm, I messed up, I made a mistake, I'm going to save face and step away from the UFC for a little while. Good on him. Because that's the only punishment that would come from this. Because he's Dana White, and he owns the UFC and is a multi-millionaire, if not multi-billionaire. I mean, what, what, what are you going to do? So there's there's in, in terms of the MMA there's nobody above him. So it's it's one of those it's kind of like the situation with with Dan Snyder and the Redskins or, or the Commanders. You you can't the commissioner can step in and do something and it, it finally appears that the league will be doing something about it. But the reason that it went on so long is because He's an owner, and he's friends with the commissioner, and he's got a lot of money, and everybody just kind of sweeps under the rug and, and moves on with their lives. Uh, so I, as unfortunate as it sounds, I'm not sure that this will be a whole lot different uh, from from Dana White. But going back to the topic at hand, the New Orleans Saints, uh, they will host Carolina this Sunday inside the Caesar Superdome for the final regular season game of 2022 looking to finish 8-9 and nine and on a four-game winning streak. James, we, we've praised Chris Olave all season long for the incredible year that he has had. He is only 18 yards away from 1,000. 18 yards away from being a rookie thousand yard receiver now that is just absolutely incredible to think about and if you look at the injury report for the Saints it's looking a little bit better than it has in recent weeks there's not as many names on there and most of the names are listed as questionable Funny how that works week 18 after you're eliminated. I mean, let's go to Game Hotline. Ralph, what's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, As far as the Saints go, um, you know, I'd love to think if they were um, completely healthy all year, they they would have won a a few more games. I'm not sure with this coaching staff. I'm still – I still have some severe doubts about it. But, but, you know, going into this final game – and I guess the thing is, you know, some of these players have performance-based incentives built to their contracts. But, you know, and I look, the Winston thing is done. It's obvious that he's not a fit under Dennis Allen or else they would have played him a long time ago. So that, that being, that's beside the point. But I thought, he, you know, Eno Benjamin kind of flashed a little bit last week. You know, I'd like to see some of these young players play this last game. You know, you know, put Trevor Penning at, at left tackle. Let him play a whole game. See what, see what happens, you know. You're, you're eliminated at this point. I think it's important to kind of evaluate your, your, your talent, you know, to know what you need to draft going into the, um, into the uh, you know, offseason. So just want to get your opinion on that as far as, you know, playing a lot of uh, young players in this final game. And I hope you'll have a great uh, – 
a great show, and, and uh, I know I haven't talked to you all in a while, so Happy New Year, guys. Appreciate the call, Ralph. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a it's a perfect opportunity to do that. The game means nothing. Correct. It means nothing for either team. You're, you're playing for pride. So call up Kirk Merritt. Call up uh, Sewell, the Nafe Sewell. Call up, you know, everybody off the practice squad for, for crying out loud. Let everybody play. Yeah, I was really excited. Whenever I first saw Eno get out there and his first carry was for eight yards, I was like, ooh, now we're cooking. Yep. I like. I was really excited to see what we could actually see out of Eno because we didn't see him the first two weeks because still got to get him at least a little acclimated with the offense. But finally saw him out there and got three total touches. It was for 19 yards. But, I mean, hey, it was the fact that we were actually seeing him on the field. And he looked explosive. He looked like he actually wanted to hit somebody. You know who he had reminded me of whenever I, those few plays that I did see him out there? Who's up? Kyrie Robinson. Yeah. Reminded me of Kyrie, like going out there, looking to hit somebody, looking for those extra yards. Runs mean, looks explosive. But yeah, and you know, if, if you look at the practice squad, J.P. Holtz, Keith Kirkwood, Lucas Kroll, call all those guys up. Call them all up. I was going to say, we've kind of seen, we've already seen all we need to see of Kirk. Cool. I mean, uh, 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 Kirk, Keith Kirkwood. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of already seen. We already know the extent of him. Kawan Baker, but seeing seeing Kawan, seeing Kirk Merritt because we didn't see Kirk really all that much. If you want to call up Derek Gore, out, out of UL Monroe, call him up. I mean, at this point, what are you what are you losing? I mean, if you lose, you give the Eagles a slightly better pick. Um, does, but it's that, like, does that matter now? No, that doesn't matter now. That that that's really hell. But Paul, still, but still, eat. But you still want to win. It's not like it's a preseason game where you're strictly looking at what you got. You're you still want to end the season on a high note and try and well, get that win. Of, of course, but then at the same time, this is a great opportunity to evaluate your future. Correct. Yeah, I'm. I'd still. I would still give. Eno Benjamin more touches. I'd still start Trevor Penning at left tackle. I'd start Trevor. I'd bring out Kirk, bring out Kawan, see what we see what you can do with them. But I wouldn't go so far and just put out everybody to where it's like you ruin your chance well, anymore. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not saying call up these guys on the practice squad to play every snap, but I mean, put them in a uniform, yeah. let them get some touches. Yeah, give them. Yeah, like like give them like ten plays. Like Derek Gore is a running back. Give him, give him five carries, like let him let him get his feet wet, because who knows, he might become a guy for you if he's given the right opportunity. So it's just one of those things where you kind of gotta just see what you have and you know let the chips fall where they may. But in terms of Trevor Penning, I, I want that guy playing the whole game, the entire game, all four quarters. I want Trevor Penning at left tackle, right tackle. I, I don't really care. Where at, on the offensive line, play him because he is your future. I want to see him at left at that position. I want to see him at left since Ryan. Well, right, he's already you, you've got the up. right side down. Put him at left tackle. Let him play the whole game. If he sucks, he sucks. Because Hurst isn't a tw- isn't a free agent until twenty twenty four. But even you, then, he's only got a minimal contract of. Two million. Trevor Penning is your future at left tackle, 
and the only way he's going to get better is by getting real live game reps. So let him get them in a game that doesn't matter. And not just putting him out there as a jumbo tight end. Right. It, like, it's, a, it's a real game, and it's a game that, win or lose, changes nothing for you. So let him get experience. That will pay dividends next year. 100%. Get Mardi Gras started the right way with a real fun run. Trail presents the Lundy Gras Barathon Monday, February 20th. It's four miles through Freetown, just south of the parade route. If you wear a costume and you can enjoy free drinks throughout the course, served at the Adult Hydration Station. A party bus will follow close behind, so runners can jump aboard at any time. Run all, run some, or run none. The audience will vote for the winner of the costume contest, so bring your craziest friends. It's the Lundy Girl Barathon. Free food, free drinks, and prizes. And you can register now at latrail.org. We'll take a timeout. When we return, we will bring you audio from Joe Dumars as well as the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time, 4.42, almost 4.43. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns will return home tomorrow evening to play Southern Miss. James, it's the first time they'll play in the friendly confines of the Cajun Dome since December the 12th. It's been a long time. They've played four games in that stretch, going one and three, including dropping their last three. On a three-game skid, lost to Texas, and then had close losses to both Coastal Carolina and Old Dominion. The Old Dominion game, they just flat out didn't play well. We're down by 22 at one point and fought their way back to, to make it a game late, but uh, just kind of ran out of time in that one. Bob Marlin met with the media yesterday and was asked if this two-game homestand is coming at the right time for this team. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I wouldn't want to go six in a row or five in a row on the road. But this, we're in the middle of a six of eight, eight of ten stretch. We knew that, and we we felt like uh, we could get one of the games, if not both, on the road. But uh, we didn't make the plays and get the breaks down the stretch. An- another point that Bob Marlin made during this press conference was talking about how his team could find more success if they were able to get to the free throw line more. But what's it going to take to get there? We have to be aggressive. Uh, you know, we've got to get the calls, but we've got to put put it on the officials and make sure that uh, we get to the free throw line, whether we drive the ball or we post up. So we're just going to have to continue to work at that phase. James, the th- the thing that's interesting when you look at the Cajuns is they're ten and four, like we said, losers of their last three. But the the question becomes, what changed? Obviously, Texas is kind of an outlier because they're a top-10 team. You you didn't really have expectations to go win that game. You would probably hope to compete better than you did, but you didn't expect to win that game. Coastal and Old Dominion are games that you look at and go, man, you know, you really should have had them. You were right there. You should have had them. What changed? Kobe Julian. 
came back. Now, you look at it, Kobe Julian is a great piece for Bob Marlin and his staff to get back. However, what happens when a player who has yet to play at all this season comes back is the five guys that start and play the most for you have had 11 games of chemistry to sink and get right and this, that, and the other. You throw in another link, and it's going to change all of that. Now you have to readjust and find chemistry with the new player and all of that. And you know you can practice with that player all you want to get chemistry, but it's not going to be the same Unless you do it in, in a game. game. So Kobe Julian only having two games in, that was the difference. Now granted, in the Coastal Carolina game, the Cajuns were up by 10 with four minutes left. Should not lose that game. Whatsoever. Should not lose that game. Old Dominion, again, like I said, you just didn't play well. You were down by 22 at one point. You fought back, got it to four, and just kind of ran out of gas. So that that's that's ha- that happens, right? Um, but one bright spot for the Cajuns in that two-game losing streak, two-game conference losing streak, is the play of Themis Folks. Uh, in these games, he's had 21 assists in two games. Leads the conference in assists in conference play as it stands now. 21 assists to only five turnovers. Bob Marlin talked about the play of his new point guard. For the most part, I mean, he was aggressive at the end of the Coastal game. That wasn't what we wanted. Uh, and he, he shot one off the bounce trying to draw a foul at the end of the game. Uh, but he has done a good job, as you said, Kevin. He's got 21 assists and five turnovers in the two conference games. I mean, he leads the league in assists. I had a good talk with him Friday, and he, he shot less on Saturday and still did a good job with uh, 12 assists. So... Pleased with his performance, He's, we, we want him to, to be a little bit better defensively. And then one of those shots, you know, was a goaltend. It wasn't called to. So, I mean, you can go back to so many plays that we could very fortunately be 2-0 and if, if things would have been different. Switching over to Lake Charles now, Joe Dumars held a press conference to announce or, or to discuss the court at the Legacy Center being named in his honor and uh, this was Joe Dumars' response to what was your first reaction when you heard the court was going to be named after you? You know, I had a great dinner in Las Vegas during the summer at the NBA Summer League, and that's when he first brought it up. And I just told him how much I appreciated if we ended up doing this, how much I appreciated it. I, I, I take nothing for granted, anything. And I, I think I said this to Heath, anything that um, – someone does for me or in honor of me, uh, I know they don't have to. And uh, so uh, very grateful, very thankful, and very appreciative uh, for this. And I, and I conveyed that to Heath uh, at dinner in Las Vegas in July sometime. The court will be officially named Joe Dumar's court tomorrow night when McNeese hosts Northwestern State inside the Legacy Center. Joe Dumars was asked what it will be like to be back and step onto your own floor. Yeah, that's, that's uh, it's, you know, I'm looking forward to it. It should be awesome. 
my wife and two kids are coming down with me. We're going to fly down um, Wednesday, and um, and they're they're happy and excited about it too. As you know, my wife is from Lake Charles, went to St. Louis High School, and McNeese grad as well. So uh, she's excited. But my two kids are. My kids are born and raised here in Detroit, and coming to going back to Louisiana for them is always. Uh, kind of exciting. They're, they're not from there, but everything about their life is connected to Louisiana. So it's they're looking forward to it too. Such an incredible honor for probably the greatest athlete to ever come out of McNeese State University in Joe Dumars. Uh, once again, will be honored tomorrow against Northwestern. Uh, it'll be a, uh, a a great atmosphere there at the Legacy Center tomorrow night in Lake Charles. We'll take a timeout, wrap up hour number one, right after this here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the Fighting Tigers of LSU and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Alexa and The Game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, The Game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up hour number one, 453 right now. Kind of want to take a look at more of just an NFL landscape and kind of take a look more specifically at the Pittsburgh Steelers, who at one point, if you remember, were three and seven. And now all of a sudden, they're eight and eight, winning five out of their last six. Mike Tomlin's a genius, baby. Like, we we really we we put them to a side and we're like yeah. They're playing a rookie quarterback. They're going to stink. Whatever. Mike Tomlin, his winning streak of always having a winning record ever since he was a head coach there for Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's gone. It's coming to an end. And it's okay because it's still the Steelers. Little do we know. They're now 8-8. Eight and eight, One game left. And guess who they play? The Cleveland Browns. The Browns. Now Deshaun Which is Watson a very did actually winnable a, game. Now Deshaun Watson did have a Pretty solid week last week against the Commanders, but Commanders are they're kind of meh. Since 2007, that man has never had a losing record. Like that's crazy to think. He's never had a losing record. Like in his and his second year as head coach, they win the Super Bowl. What? What? And then and then two years later, Super Bowl 45, they're there again. The man went to two Super Bowls in his first four years. How is Mike Tomlin not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Already. How is he not there? Makes no sense. Dude's a genius. Absolute genius. He has made Kenny Pickett look like a half-assed decent quarterback. I mean, that's kind of what we expected. We didn't expect... He, he, He looks okay. Now, granted, I said when he got drafted that he would be good in time. I didn't think that he would put up these kind of numbers and have this level of consistency this early. I am mind blown by what the Steelers have been able to do. Shows you It shows you just how much a good coach matters well they've really relied on that defense and agreed tj watt scary dude mika fitzpatrick scary guy 
I mean, it's a it's a great defense. But this again, I'm, I'm gonna say it again. It goes to show how important a good defense is. Ever since that 37-30 loss to Cincinnati, the most points that they've given up is 17. Yep. 17, 16, yep. 16, 16, 10, 13. The, the defense has really stepped up, and even though Kenny Pickett it hasn't shown like huge flashes and they're lighting up the scoreboard because you look at their scores, the highest they had scored since that 37-30 loss was 24. Correct. So it's not like they're lighting up the scoreboard, but they're able to get the wins, and Kenny Pickett is able to do just enough, and the the defense of the Steelers has been able to hold them at bay. It's so crazy to think that T.J. Watt missed half the year, and at the time that he was he's played, still playing hurt, yet he's got five sacks and two interceptions. Dude's dude's freaky. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off with Matthew Bruni talking LSU men's basketball right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's our number two of Crunch Time here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. James, that's how you're getting into the intro. It's okay. It's okay. He's doing the elbow and dancing <laughs> like a madman in there. Song goes hard. I mean, it, it does. That's why that's why we picked it for the intro. <laughs> in hour number one, we updated you on the status of Damar Hamlin. We touched on the Saints, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and McNeese, as well as some top stories in the world of sports. In hour number two, we're going to talk some more New Orleans Saints with our guy Brendan Ertle at 5.30 for Who Dat Wednesday. But right now... Let's chat about LSU men's basketball falling to Kentucky 74-71 to with our guy Matthew Bruni of Bengal Tiger on three. Matthew, thanks so much for taking the time, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always good to talk to LSU. It's a beautiful day outside, so I've been trying to get out a little bit. It's, it, it is a beautiful day, and it was necessary because yesterday was just ugly. <laughs> That was a monsoon yesterday night. Yeah, like, no, no, no kidding. I, I walked, I walked to my car after our show yesterday, and there was a, it was a light show outside. It was impressive. But uh, you yeah, know, yeah, it was, it was good. L- looking at the basketball game last night between Kentucky and LSU, this was a game going into it where LSU had come off that big win over Arkansas. Kentucky ha- had lost some games that you know you looked at and maybe they shouldn't have lost. So this was a game where you felt like LSU had a chance and they really hung in for all 40 minutes of, of this game and just fell short at the end. Yeah, um, you kind of mentioned that Kentucky's been a little bit disappointed. They fell out of the top 25, but I mean the talent on this team, especially in the starting five, is is still elite. Like you go from Oscar Sheebway to, um, I mean, the case and Wallace to a bunch of guys. Their whole starting five is very, very talented. And so you knew they have talent. You knew they were going to be a desperate team coming off the loss to Missouri to start SEC play. 
And, you know, LSU picked up the win against Arkansas, so uh, they maybe uh, didn't need to win this game as much as Kentucky did, and it's their first true road game of the year. I The spread was around nine, and I thought that was pretty fair. And LSU was within nine for a majority of this game and really, really close, kept countering every punch Kentucky threw. So um, I can't help but leave this game, you know, even more impressed uh, through two games of SEC play considering where they were after the non-conference. Now, looking at, at the Tigers, K.J. Williams led the way with, with 23. You also had 15 from Adam Miller and then 12 from, from Trey Hannibal. One thing that kind of stood out, though, is only 13 minutes and zero points from Juice Hill. Yeah, uh, it's been it's been an up-and-down season for Juice. Uh, I... Coming into the year, I had pretty high expectations for him. I really liked his game at Murray State and what he was able to do. But even there, he was a very streaky shooter. Um, and the problem is when you get into the SEC at his size, you have to be elite at something. And uh, if you look at like a Zakai Ziegler from Tennessee who's around his size, uh, Ziegler can get to the rim. He's a much better scorer and much better defender than Drew Hill is. So Hill's game hasn't quite translated how I had hoped um, shooting – you know, 14 of 50 from three on the year, 34% from two on the year. So he's just not getting those looks that he was used to getting the past few years. And, um, you know, without him on the court, it, it hurts because he's their only true point guard. So you have a lot more Trey Hannibal creating, Cam Hayes, you know, um, Justice Hill or Justice Williams creating. So um, it does hurt, but, uh, you know, it, if he can't score the ball, you can't really justify him being out there because he's not a, Super defender. You know, one guy that you just mentioned that's really stood out to me so far this season is Cam Hayes, uh, a, a 6'2 junior guard, averaging close to nine points a game. He's a guy that has quietly played very well for LSU down the stretch. Yeah, he's been probably the surprise of the season um, to, to me and to most people. If you look at his career coming out of North Carolina State, he had a really good freshman year. And then last year he was pretty poor. He got benched halfway through the season and just had really poor numbers across the board. He gets a change of scenery coming over here. We didn't know what we were going to get. And he comes out and he surprises everybody, I think including the coaching staff, with the way he's been able to shoot the ball and score score, and just the efficiency he's played with this year. And that's been a huge boost, especially in the non-conference when the offense was really, really poor and Adam Miller couldn't shoot and um, – just the offense was stuck in mud a lot. He was the guy to bail them out. So as this team continues to come together, um, they're going to need him to continue to score. And him and Adam Miller, I think, as as scoring guards is a really good option because, you know, one of them can usually get hot. And then on the other side for Kentucky, you know, Matthew, when you only play seven guys and four of them score in double figures, that's that's a recipe for success if you're John Calipari. Yeah, they're definitely not the deepest team in the country by any means. They are very much relying on those guys, um, the starting five, and then a couple guys off the bench here and there. I mean, and when you have Oscar Sheeble, you know he's not coming out of the game. And Severe Wheeler, their point guard, is on the court for majority of the game. So and then you got Casey Wallace, who's going to be a lottery pick. And, um, you know, even Jacob Toppin and Antonio Reeves, as their three and four, are going to probably be drafted this year. Um, so. They're not sure of talent, but everybody up in Lexington is losing their mind right now because they have four losses and fell out of the top 25. And 
you know, the SEC as a whole just feels very, very open this year, and it's a interesting feeling. Even though Tennessee, I think, is going to be real good, and Bama are going to be real good. Kentucky's a little bit down. We'll see how Arkansas bounces back and kind of go from there. But isn't that where everybody wants to be as a fan base? When your when your head coach has a lifetime contract and you freak out when you have four losses? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, yeah, Cal's not going anywhere, and so the losses this year haven't even been bad. I mean, they've been to like on the road to at Gonzaga and neutral site to UCLA and Michigan State, and then a and then a road game to Missouri. It's like I think they're going to be fine. They're not obviously as good as they've been in years past, but last year they lost in the first round of the tournament. So who knows? Maybe this will shake it up to where they can do something in the postseason. Chat with Matthew Bruni from On Three Sports, looking at LSU, twelve and two on the year now, one and one in the SEC. I know it's still very early, but from the sample size that you've seen so far, what are your thoughts on Matt McMahon? Um, I was still, I was being patient through the non-conference uh, because I could tell that a lot of the shortcomings were personnel more so than his coaching. I mean, I thought it was very clear watching the non-conference that. He's a good basketball coach. I mean, the sets he has, the the after timeout um, plays he runs, the defense is there. I mean, it feels like he was getting his guys in the right position. They just kind of weren't executing. So my thought was going into conference, just get through it, go seven, eleven, eight, and ten, maybe at best, and then rebuild or retool over the off season um, and go from there. But with the win over Arkansas and a good showing against Kentucky, I mean, he continues to show he's he has more in the tank and that he's empowering his players and continuing to get the most out of them. I mean, this is not going to be a top, this isn't a top six most talented team in the conference by any means. And he's continuing to kind of get the most out of them. So if they continue with this stretch, when I think that isn't, if I wouldn't be shocked if they dip down at some point, but if they keep playing at this level, I mean, he's going to, he's going to have a terrific first year. Turning the page to Saturday, they will go to College Station to play Texas A&M, who are led by Wade Taylor the fourth, leading them in both points per game and assist. What does A&M, you know, kind of do well, and where can the Tigers maybe exploit them a little bit in this matchup? Yeah, A&M has been a up and down team. I mean, I, I'm really not that high on them. I've watched them a couple times this year. Uh, I thought, I honestly, coming into the year, I thought they would be one of the better teams coming off of last year. They were made the NIT championship game, uh, they made the SEC championship game. I mean, they've had a really good postseason run last year, and then this year they returned everybody, like you said, Wade Taylor, Manny Obiseki, uh Tyrese Radford, Henry Coleman, guys like that, and they've been real inconsistent. They lost to Wofford, um, lost to like Boise State and Murray State, and uh their best win this year is really like SMU and DePaul. They don't have a great win to this point. So A&M will play Florida tonight. Um, I don't know when that game is, but it's tonight at some point at um, on the road. And if they win that game, then we'll have to take them a little bit more seriously. But they don't do anything great. Um, you know, Buzz Williams is kind of an old-school type of coach. They don't shoot a ton of threes. They kind of work, work the ball a bit, but – if LSU plays the way that they've been playing the past two games, I think they should be okay. Now that the season is behind us, what are your thoughts on, on year one for Brian Kelly and LSU football? Whew, I mean, he can't can't do much better. Couldn't ask for much more. I mean, obviously people will look at the A&M game and be like, man, you can't lose that game. And Yeah, that that is true. Like, Obviously you don't want to lose that game, but I think it kind of speaks to what this team did for a majority of the season. Um, 
that expectations were so high and that that A&M game hurt so much. I mean, the depth of this team still was not there. There were clear limitations throughout the roster, but um, they clearly maximized um, their potential to get to 10-4 on the season. I mean, even if you take out the postseason, 9-3 and is a tremendous year to win the West. I mean, they've recruited well, obviously. They signed 25 guys on the early signing day. We'll see what they do in the transfer portal, but feels like they have everything under control they're going to return pretty much the, or they're going to return the entire entire uh, on field staff and kind of build from there moving forward so i'm i'm really excited i was really impressed this year and and lastly how surprised are you by the sudden departure of linebacker demario tolan uh i'm pretty surprised um I mean, I think there was a very very clear path to him getting on the field a lot this coming season. Um, so we haven't heard and we don't know anything if there was anything else, you know, uh, that went into that decision. Obviously, you know, everybody has their reasons to move on, transfer and whatnot, but I don't think playing time or getting on the field was one of those reasons. I just, he was flashing. Brian Kelly talked about him catching Greg Penn in a press conference earlier this year. And, uh, I think that was before the Arkansas game and that caused Greg Penn to have a great game. So it's like, Tolan was definitely going to be in the rotation, if not get a chance to start games next year. So it, it did surprise me, but uh, you know, that's just another uh, hoop LSU's going to have to jump through this offseason is get more linebackers. Matthew Bruni of On3 Sports joining us talking all things LSU. Matthew, appreciate you as always, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. For sure. Thanks for having me. Anytime. And there he goes, Matthew Bruni of the Bengal Tiger on three checking in on your poll question what are your thoughts on lsu's loss to kentucky last night so far 69 percent of you say you like the way they fought and then 15 percent each for indifferent and should have won the game ralph bergeron chimes in another home run hire from scott woodward it's interesting you know you, you look at the hires that that woodward has made so far brian kelly Seems to have worked out. Jay Johnson, he's got the number one team in the country. That seems to have worked out. Uh, Matt McMahon, still a little early, but you, you got to like the size you, you of gotta, the showing. You got to like what you've seen so far. And then Kim Mulkey, oh. the goat in women's basketball, the legend. The only the only name I could think in women, the only two names I should say that. I would put above Kim Mulkey, and that even that's debatable, is Pat Summit and Gino Auriemma. I mean, Pat Kim Mulkey is the a, a legend. She won a national title as a player and has won multiple as a coach. And she's a Hall of Famer. That might be the biggest hire out of all of them, is getting Kim Mulkey to come back to Louisiana and, and coach at LSU. I mean, that is just... And, and look at the dividends that's paid. I mean, undefeated, top 10 team in the country. Angel Reese has been dominant for the Lady Tigers. I mean, it has just been incredible to see what they have been able to do. Recapping some of the top stories, DeMar Hamlin showing signs of improvement. Uh, the Jets will back quarterback Zach Wilson, quote, through hell or high water. Interesting. 
Uh, Bobby Petrino will join Texas A&M staff as the offensive coordinator and will assume play-calling duties. And in Week 18 for the Washington Commanders, rookie quarterback Sam Howell will get the start for Washington. Could that be sign a sign of things to come? Are they maybe going to turn over the keys to Sam Howell if he plays well? Maybe a little early to tell, but I mean, you drafted the kid for a reason, right? It was in. It was a little later, but still, I mean, we've seen plenty of quarterbacks in later rounds, not just the first or second. Correct. Where Tom, they've made plenty of impact. The goat was a sixth round pick. Correct. Number one ninety nine. Russell Wilson was a third. Third. Jimmy Garoppolo was a fourth. Um, oh, I'm blanking early on. Uh, but Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant for sure. Geno Smith. Oh, second I think or third. Was, I think he was relatively early. Second for his or third draft class, but um, oh, they're, they're, a lot of today's guys were were early picks, but there there are a few that have that have stood out being being late bloomers. Um, so so it's definitely definitely not a, a surprise. To, to see the commanders maybe wanting to to go this way because don't get me wrong, I like Taylor Heineke. I don't think he's a franchise guy. No, not at this point. Carson Wentz, that dude's just broken. Just broken. Him tearing his ACL in Philly ended his entire career. The dude is just broken from this point. Um, so interested to see what Washington will do there in terms of quarterback play going forward. But if you didn't get what you wanted from Santa for Christmas, don't worry. We have the gifts you really want in the game clubhouse. Score a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, a $40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard, or a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio in Abbeville by signing up for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Sign up today. We'll take a time out, and when we return, James and I will talk more NFL, maybe some early playoff conversation. We'll look at the playoff picture next here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 5.23 on your Who Dat Wednesday. So we're going to get to the playoff picture. We really are. However, it's an interesting trade proposal in the NBA brought up by a great basketball analyst in Bill Simmons. It's a three-way trade between the Timberwolves, the Heat, and the Raptors. The Raptors would receive D'Angelo Russell, Nikola Jovic, and a 2023 first. The Heat would get Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., while the T-Wolves get Kyle Lowry. Uh, there's an evident loser in that in that trade proposal. Um, I, I like Kyle Lowry. 
He can still eight, do some eight, things. Eight years ago. He can, he's, he can still get buckets every once in a while. I liked Kyle Lowry eight years ago. He was still good three years ago. Uh, that That's even fair. But I really liked him eight years ago. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love whenever the star is still young and still developing and still has a lot of potential? Now it's just like, uh, hey, bud, you're, you're, you're kind of old. You're, you're 36. <laughs> you're, getting, you're getting up in age just a little bit. So the T-Wolves would obviously lose that deal. But for a team like the Raptors, as much as you like Fred Van Vliet, might be a good opportunity for you to kind of hit the reset a little bit, ever so slightly. You still have Pascal Siakam. You still have OG Ananobi. But getting the first-round pick, getting young pieces, could make sense while still keeping those guys that have become your core. And then, if you're Miami, it just bolsters you getting Fred Van Vliet as, as a three-point shooter and then Gary Trent Jr. That, that's an interesting move for everybody but Minnesota. And again, th- this, is, this is hypothetical speculation at this point, but still, if, if that were to go down, it would be interesting. I, I think with how, how we would work is pretty much with the Heat. You'd be pushing a little more to do better in the playoffs and make a little bit more of a run. Kyle Lowry, uh, you kind of just are going for it all at that point if you're the Wolves because you you do have some injuries here and there. And then with the Raptors, you kind of you kind of push back a little bit. You get a little younger because Fred VanVleet's 28, Delo's 26, even though Delo's been in the league for seven years. Mm-hmm. And then Nikola Jovic, he's only 19. And then you also get a first-rounder. If you're the Raptors, you'd be taking a step back at that point, kind of being like, all right, get some more pieces together. That way we can make a little bit better of a run in a couple of years. But then both the Heat and the Timberwolves are kind of going all for it. Correct. Correct. So let's go to the NFL playoff picture now. James, I, my, my first question when, when looking at this, how important is the Lions-Packers matchup going to be on Sunday? Because the winner, depending on what happens with Seattle and L.A., the winner of that Lions-Packers game could find their way into the playoffs. Because the Rams, the Rams are eliminated. So if the Rams beat Seattle, the winner of that Lions-Packers game gets in. So that game suddenly becomes incredibly important to the playoff picture. Which is why they flex it all the way to Sunday night. Correct. And it's interesting because Seattle, if in case you had forgot, they actually did beat the Lions 48-45 in Detroit week four. Mm-hmm. So that, that would make things really interesting because then you'd be like, all right, well, we win, Lions win, Lions still lose and get out because they lost us earlier in the season. Correct. But if the Rams win, it's relevant. Seattle's out. Correct. Um, so 
That'll... You, for, you, ha- you have to win, and you need the Lions to win. It, it's nuts that there's only one playoff spot up for grabs in the NFC. Whereas there's only f- one spot left. Whereas last week, just about all of them were still up for grabs. And l- let's, let's discuss who's in. The Eagles. Yep. The Niners. The Vikes. Tampa. Ugh. Dallas. The Giants. Have you excuse me? There are three NFC East teams in the playoffs. When did we enter the Matrix? What happened? I have a question. Have you written your apology to Daniel Jones yet? How far along are you? I need to write him a long one. God, Danny Dimes, man. Mm-hmm. He's really been diming it up this year, hadn't he? <laughs> he has gotten a lot better. And shout and out again, Brian Dable. He's, and again, he proved that he is that definitely goes a coach. To, that goes to my point earlier. It's incredible what a good head coach can do for you. If you have a QB whisperer with a young QB that's still developing, it can work so because, well. Because under who was the Giants head coach before this? I'm drawing a blank. There are a lot of bad ones. Most recently, uh, though. Joe Judge. Joe Judge, thank you. Under Joe Judge, everybody's like, oh, Daniel Jones sucks. You know, cut him. He's never going to make it in the league. Blah, blah, blah. You make a coaching change, and now Daniel Jones, potential pro bowler? Well, you also get Saquon back. You get a healthy Saquon. From, like, he, he's Correct. back. He's back to full form. Correct. But you, you look at the. You look at the Giants' receiving core. There's no real superstar there. You got Saquon, you got Daniel Jones, and that's really about it. And yet, it's working because they're in the playoffs. And they have a winning record, and suddenly the Giants are halfway relevant again. Which, for the longest time, even when they had Odell, the, Lion, the Giants were only relevant because they had Odell. So it's interesting to see what, what Brian Dable has been able to do just in year one. And that's what's more likely not going to be the ultimate fall for the Giants because they don't have anyone that really stands out on offense other than Correct. Saquon and Daniel Jones because their leading receiver, Darius Slayton, who I like who? him. He's a solid piece, but he's not that He's not a guy that that can be that dominant number one he's, receiver. He's not that dude. Richie James, easily Ooh. career highs in every single category because for the uh, he's 27, 28 right now. The rest of his career, he was just a special teams guy. And then, you know, looking at the AFC, the three teams on the bubble with the Dolphins, Steelers, and the Titans. I mean, any of those teams could be in. Which one is it going to be? Probably the Steelers. They, they, they've got the, the nicest matchup playing the Browns. The Dolphins have the Jets, which is a winnable game if you're at full strength. Which they're not. They're not. They don't have Tua. They don't have Teddy. They're giving first team reps to Skylar Thompson. And who, they by just, the way, they just signed Mike Glennon 
to the practice right. squad. Like, Which, by the way, Skylar Thompson was great at Kansas State. Beat Oklahoma twice in his college career. Great. Is that going to translate to the NFL? Mm, we'll see. In a win... Win or go home yeah. scenario. Yeah. Like, mm. here's the pressure, kid. If you... If we lose, you, you see that you see that crock pot of destiny. Go jump in there, go find your way out. Okay, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, look, the the Jaguars is intriguing because they're right, literally win and get in right now. They're in, but if something goes horribly wrong, eggs. Now again. Sitting at eight and eight under new head coach Doug Peterson, it's worked out. Trevor Lawrence has taken major strides forward. You've got great receivers now. Travis Etienne had a full season healthy and was dominant. The future is bright in Jacksonville. It just is. Baltimore, they're in the playoffs, but that's going to be short lived. Especially if Lamar's still not at 100%. That's going to be short-lived. Because they are just like the Giants where they don't have the receivers to help. The Chargers, they got one really good superstar player, but other than that, they have no help for their quarterback. The Chargers could make some noise. They could. Because they've been on a run lately. They can make some noise. The Bengals. I, I think the Bengals could go back to the Super Bowl this year. Buffalo. I think Buffalo. I, I said at the beginning of the year, I said Buffalo would win the Super Bowl, and I still, I still believe that they could. And then Kansas City. I mean, God, they're they're a contender every year. It doesn't matter who who, who you're playing. The, the Chiefs have a chance to win. Um, so playoffs this year are going to be just as entertaining as they've been. Playoffs? Are you kidding me? Be lucky if we can win a damn game. Biggest fraud that's made the playoffs so far. Call it now. It's the Minnesota Vikings. It's the Minnesota Vikings. That field goal to win the game look. It's, it's gonna run out. It's gonna run out soon. They are not twelve and four good. They're a good team. They're not twelve and four good. Ten and ten and seven good. Yeah. They're not twelve and four good. It, it, they are gonna get brought down to size pretty hell, dude. The Giants might beat them. The Giants might beat them. That'll be fun. All right, let's take a timeout. Brendan Ertle joins us next for Houdat Wednesday here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion, Houston Astros. He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Houdat Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Brendan, what's going on, bud? How are you? What's up? Doing good, guys. Um, so the playoffs getting ready to get started. You, you've got some great matchups starting to shape out. And and of course, for yet another year, the New Orleans Saints are not part of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's brutal. Um, sure. You'd like to see them in the playoffs. I don't think they're necessarily a playoff team. Um, you know, the, the roster's built out to, to kind of be a playoff team. And I think it can be. Um, if they were to run it back, I think with some, some small changes, you could say. Uh, I, I think they could be a playoff team with this roster, but uh, they squandered too many opportunities, way too many opportunities. Uh, I know we all look at that Tampa game and 
uh, how big that's going to mean, and that's really what's going to eliminate them and was the reason why they were eliminated. And the second, you know, you're having to rely on this team winning and that team winning and this this team and that scenario, then you're really – you didn't take care of business. And, you know, the Eagles did take care of business. They're – from here on out, they're like, if we win, we get what we want. So um, too many games this season didn't go their way. And they it's frustrating because they did beat some good teams. They beat the, the, Seahawks, the Seahawks and uh, their prime when they were, like, looking like a really solid team in the NFC. Uh, obviously, they fell off since. But, you know, they have some quality wins, and it just didn't work out the way we wanted it to. And, of course, the Saints and Dennis Allen are, are getting hot at the kind of the, the right time, but a little, little too late. Yeah, and looking at that win streak, what what were your thoughts on the Saints' win last Sunday in Philly? I mean, I don't think I, any of us expected that kind of performance. And what I what I keep bringing my, my mind back to is Andy Dalton started 12 for 12. And that's winning football. That will get it done. And I was kind of thinking, like, you know, when was the last time I've seen a quarterback really start like this, just dicing up the defense? And the Eagles prepared all week for, for this offense and this team, and they decided that that would be the best. Um, they ran mostly zone early on, and they thought that would be the best to, to stop this offense. And Dalton diced it up. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to compare people right now, but that I haven't seen something since like that since really Drew, which where it's like it doesn't matter what your game plan is. It's going to dice you up and – uh, I really liked how he started. It started really good, and um, then it kind of fell off. He threw that pick and forced to Olave where Juwan Johnson was open and some other smaller routes were there as well. And since that point, it went, it went downhill, and they didn't score another point on offense. So I love the way they started, and they didn't finish. Um, and even when they were, were, were even when they were doing well, they weren't putting too many points on the board. I mean, they squandered a red zone opportunity. Uh, Willis had a deep field goal. That was big. Uh, Jawan Johnson had a pretty good game as well. Got to fix up the drops, though. Uh, but overall, I mean, you can't complain. And I saw Eagles fans complaining, like, yeah, if we had Jalen Hurts, we did this, we would do this, this, and this. And it's Gardner Minshew's fault. But the Saints defense in December of the past three years has probably been the best defense I've ever seen because they have just locked everyone down. And besides that one A.J. Brown play, it probably should have shut up the Eagles. And they, they did have that drive and the, the phantom holding call and whatnot. But you, that, that that doesn't matter. Gardner Minshew is going to get paid in the offseason. He's going to go play somewhere. He'd probably start for for a, for a team somewhere. I know we talked about that um, with Kanashri a little bit. Is Would we bring in a guy Gardner? And um, He played really well against Dallas, and I don't think he was the reason they lost. But uh, this week, the Saints are better, and they wanted it more. And um, thank you, CJ, for having us. You know, talking about the secondary, Paulson Adebo is a guy that has – continued to to struggle this season almost to the point where, where some people have viewed that maybe Elante Taylor has overtaken him as as the future as that second corner uh where, where do you where do you stand on the future of Paulson Adiba I mean he had a really really strong rookie year he had a great camp and then came out the gate in, in year two and it, we haven't seen it I mean at all uh, year one was very very good I mean, he's good in man good in zone Everything worked out for him. Uh, had some picks. Was in the right place at the right time. Uh, we all remember the Atlanta game last year with that one-hand pick. He just looked really, really good. And the, the thing with corners is they'll be up and down. I mean, they'll have years where they're not good. They'll have years they're really good. But the guy who always be consistent is Marshawn, of course. And I, I really do think he's a top-three corner when he's healthy, and he's shown that. 
uh, each and every single week with his tackling, his ball skills. I mean, he's got it all, the speed. And I, I, I just thank every NFL team that was worried about his hamstring uh, in the draft because he fell all the way to 11. And I think if you redo that draft, he's probably going top five because you can't find corners like that. And I think we were spoiled a little bit with the corners that we've had. You know, we went from Jonas Jenkins to, to Adebo, and they were both really good. And uh, he's having a little bit of a sophomore slump. But that's kind of what happens when you're shuffling these secondaries in and out, in and out. Uh, one week it's May and Matthew. One week it's May and Williams. One week it's May and we're, we're starting Daniel Sorensen now. Uh, there's no real excuse for, for the plays that he's had. And he's had his moments. He's had his good moments, had his bad moments. But uh, definitely spot. He was in the spotlight with that A.J. Brown catch, and um, extremely frustrating. That's going to be something they they watch on tape, and uh, he really just got outmanned and you know bullied on that play, and it's going to happen. I think Alante Taylor showed me a little bit more this year. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily write him off, uh, a Debo that is, um, but yeah, I, I think uh, you got to keep him, keep him. Not you know you, you don't just bench and go out and bench him. I think you have to some kind of way of filter in. Alante Taylor because zero snaps on defense. I mean, he's he's but he's better than that. I know we got Roby, we got Lattimore, and a healthy defense in the secondary. You know, you're going to get um, a little bit less playing time. But we're we're out there playing Williams and Sorensen. I mean, he's better than them. Uh, so I just want to see more of a circulation in that room. And uh, Alante or uh, Adibo didn't even practice today, so maybe we will see Alante start this week. And looking at the offensive side. Rashid Shahid, he still continues to show up and make big plays for the offense. How big of a piece do you think he could be for the Saints in the future? The the, the thing I say is the future wide receiver is is Shahid and Alave. I think he's that good. And if it's even just a third spot for him, if if, if he's going to be wide receiver three in an offense, I think that's really good. He is what we wanted uh, Deontay Hardy to be. You know, Hardy had that amazing rookie year. Uh, all-pro returner a year as well, and um, they kind of started to try to filter him in the offense, and he had his plays in, in the offense. But the thing with the difference between Shahid and Hardy, who are both going to be pending free agents, I don't know. I think Shahid's a restricted free agent, so they should be good with him. Um, but you can't. You don't have to take Shahid off the field. He runs every route. He can beat man coverage. Can find his spots in zones. He's fast as hell. I mean, he's the fast player out there each and every single time. And we saw it in the Eagles game and just burn everyone deep and got caught. And I know he, he got a little bit of crap from that, uh, from his teammates, but um, Hardy, I feel like at times you can't have him on the field every single play. And I think if you're going to go with a returner, I've seen more from Shahid uh, recently, like Bobby ever says, what have you done for me lately? Uh, I haven't seen a lot from Deontay, but I'm really, really a big fan of Shahid and what he's done. And, um, he's been my savior in fantasy football as well. So uh, I think you're in a really good spot with Shahid and Olave in the future. I'd still like to add another one. And even if that's, you know, keep Michael Thomas around, and uh, you you can survive with these two we, we've seen. So I, I really like the, the trio of, you know, Olave, Shahid, and maybe Michael Thomas. Have the Saints done enough, Brendan, to bring back Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael, in your opinion? Mm, Dennis Allen, yes. I think if Dennis were to run this thing back, I think he'd get a lot of heat from the media. He'd get a lot of hate from us. He would get a lot of hate from pretty much everyone because even if it's not so
solely Pete Carmichael's fault of this offense. We saw it last week, 13 points in the first half. It, it seemed like, you know, we'll take the lead. If the defense wasn't impeccable, they probably wouldn't have had a lead uh, and then just stopped scoring. And it felt like we had everything figured out, and then it just stopped. And that, it feels like at times this year we've had success doing things, and then we go away from things. Uh, there's been a lack of screen passes. There's been a lack of Camaro usage. Um, and at some point, you're going to have to point to someone, and that's someone's Pete Carmichael. And if Dennis wants a legit shot at this and not just another one-year kind of thing, and I think he has one more year for sure, Dennis, that is, um, I think you've got to bring in some fun, innovative offensive coordinator and someone like a, a Sean Payton, but not, I mean, obviously not. Uh, but what I look at this year is the Detroit Lions. They have a stable head coach in Dan Campbell, and he's kind of their, their anchor. They rely on him. But offensively, they've been probably one of the best in the league each and every single week. From start to finish, they've been great. And their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, will be considered props for a head coaching job this offseason just because of how well he's done with Jared Goff, you know. Um, and no hate to Jared Goff, but he's no Patrick Mahomes. So I, I, I'm really a big fan of what the Lions have done. And I think if the Saints can bring in a guy like that, um, I know some people bring up Eric Bieniemy. I don't know if he'd consider an uh, offensive coordinator job somewhere else, but I think you've got to find your next kind of innovative offensive coordinator. And uh, I, I think there's there's guys out there that can get it done. Brendan Ertle joining us from Canal Street Chronicles in 30 seconds. Brendan, what do you expect from this final game against the Panthers? A win. I'll be in the Dome, so I expect nothing less than a win and end the season strong uh, and avoid the 10-loss 10, the 10 loss calm. It's always a scary sight. And end the season on a strong note. Brendan Ertle joining us for Who Dat Wednesday. Brendan, appreciate you as always, bud. We'll wrap up the season next week. Yes, sir. Tune in next week for another edition of Who Dat Wednesdays here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time for the last time today. Do want to remind you though, before we get off the air, is that one of the things that I love about betting on the NFL is that I'm always finding new player or game props I like. What's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine these props with other bets from the same game to score an even bigger payout. Perfect for Sunday's game. I'm gonna take an Alvin Kamara anytime touchdown, the under on total points scored, and then the Saints money line. Same game parlays are just one of the reasons why I bet with FanDuel. It's easy to register, easy to deposit, and simple to find your bet. And then when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings fast. There's no feeling like nailing a same game parlay bet. So lock in your bet today on FanDuel Sportsbook. New to FanDuel Sportsbook? Sign up today with promo code KLWB for a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after the receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. As we wrap up today's show, 19 years ago today, 
LSU, led by Matt Mock, won the 2004 BCS National Championship, taking down Oklahoma 21-14. And that included a pick six by the Wagyu himself, Mr. Marcus Spears. What a game that was. Uh, Skyler Green getting a big touchdown in that game. Justin Vincent as well. Uh, the the true beginning, in, in, in at least for this generation, of the dominance of LSU football. Uh, and, and it's been incredible to see over the last 19 years what this university has been able to do. Three national championships in 20 years. It's, it's truly been impressive. want to thank our guest Matthew Bruni and Brendan Ertle for joining us tomorrow. We're going to talk Louisiana Raging Cajuns as they prepare to take on Southern Miss inside the Cajun Dome. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and we'll see you tomorrow right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home. For the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros, we'll be back tomorrow 4-6 to six, right here on The Game.